everyone. This is Matt. And this is Kyle. And we're the Casual Tutors. Gonna start off this episode with a little bit of housekeeping right off the bat. We're recording this the Monday before Thanksgiving, so taking a little bit of break from our, our usual style content. And we're going to talk about magic formats, a little bit more condensed episode. Yeah, and on top of that, this will be the first time we've gotten to record in the evening, so we'll also be doing a little bit of drinking while we record. We're going to get back to our normal style content later after Thanksgiving break, going into the Christmas holiday season. And we definitely got some spicy topics coming up, so make sure to tune in and catch all our latest episodes. Without further ado, we're going to talk Magic the Gathering formats. Kyle and I kind of broke this down before the episode. We break all the formats down into three main categories. We got constructed, limited, and commander, which technically is constructed, but with the popularity of commander in the magic world these days and all the different subgenres and different variations on commander, it really breaks out into its own format. I mean, even on top of that, I mean, just to mention, just today I was texting Matt about a new sub-genre of commander I've discovered that I love. So we will go over some of those sub-genres and give a little bit more information about that. Before we dive into each format, just kind of want to put a little caveat out there. Talk about how all these formats maintain their own ban and restricted list. And briefly, ban's pretty self-explanatory, but restricted is, especially when we get down to legacy, a restriction on the number of cards, single cards. So Black Lotus, these Power 9, you can only run so many per deck. That's basically what restricted is. Right, it's it's one of each, isn't it? I think there's different levels of restricted. The Power and the Lotus, I'm pretty sure, are restricted to one each. Mm-hmm. I think they could do two. Okay. We've even seen in the past at Commander where certain cards have been restricted from being your Commander, but can be in the 99. That's no longer a thing anymore, though? Right, they okay. got rid of that. Yeah, I thought um, so. I kind of like that solution. I think it's something that I don't really fully believe in bans of Commander. You know, some things probably shouldn't be your commander. I mean, it goes back to the argument of Lutri, right? Band is command. Companion makes more sense to me than band entirely, but. Yeah, companion was just a mistake. I think sure, it's a, yeah. A whole other episode. <laughs> probably the, the worst mechanic ever made, but exactly. We'll have a mechanics episode. Yeah, for sure. One more thing I, I did want to mention. Matt and I are not judges. We are we are casual tutors. We love this game. We play a lot of this game. We play a lot of different formats. But we are bound to make some mistakes here and there. Just let us know. Pop into our socials. Send us a DM. Send us a DM. Let us know, you know, if we made a mistake or something like that. Yeah, we're not not afraid to have people sliding into our DMs on Twitter or Facebook. You know, we might even say we encourage it. Anyways, first format we want to talk about is Standard Constructed. And it's kind of been the poster child for Magic the Gathering, at least since early 2000s. It's the format you think of when you go to Friday Night Magic. All your LGSs typically host these types of events. Basically, what Standard is, it's formerly known as Type 2, but it's a 60-card constructed format with rotating legal sets. At any given time, there's between five and eight of these sets. They're not legal in Standard for longer than two years each. And I actually think it's it's five to nine, not five to eight. Is that correct? I think it, or is it, does it go up to nine and then when it hits the ninth, it rotates? I think that's what it is. It would be in the ninth, but it rotates. And it always rotates in the fall. Right. So fresh rotate will start off with those five sets. Previously, it was four base sets and a core set. Core sets no longer being a thing. Kind of. Kind of. We've seen it come and go now. Core still lives in power level, it seems like. Well, I mean, and even 
Because corset wasn't a thing, and I think 2015 they ended it, and then 2019 they brought it back, and then 2021 they ended it again. Yep, but it seems like whether they call it core or they call it magic origins or whatever, it seems like that summer set's typically weaker, and it has more of those staple cards that you know are kind of filler intro card. Even Adventures in the Forgotten Realms, which was our not last year but the year before's uh, midsummer set, they're standard legal sets that have nothing to do with the store. Or in the core sets, sometimes they they do like some past history story, but it nothing to do with the present story. Generally, you know, it's just a set to get those staples that everyone attributes to modern day Magic the Gathering cards. You know, standard seems like it's definitely waning in popularity. We saw results from a Magic Fest on the East Coast. Philadelphia. Philadelphia, either last week or the weekend before that, where... No standard events fired Friday, Saturday, or Sunday. Player count for standard was zero. That's And that's insane. That's all weekend at a massive convention. Yeah. And, you know, Pioneer, Modern, which we'll cover here in a little bit, they were both heavily represented at these at this tournament. And, you know, without really reading too much into it, it definitely feels kind of like standard is the flailing fish on the deck. And, you know, and maybe that has something to do with rotation. I mean, considering technically, and we'll get to this, but Brawl is also a rotating format, but Brawl is practically non-existent. Standard is, that is the rotating format. That is the format that Wizards really tried to push for a long time because that's what made the money, right? Rotating formats kind of seem to be going out, and I'm wondering if it's, is it the digital space? Is it because it's easier to run a rotating format in a digital space rather than a paper space? I think Arena definitely has a large part to play in standard, not be seeing so much play in paper magic. You know, it is easier to rotate cards. You know, when the computer is telling you what's legal, what's not, Mm -hmm. there's not that headache when you go to your LGS. You're also spending way less money as well. Debatable. I know plenty of people that spend at least as much on paper. And I actually, as, as, as I say that, I realize that I actually play Explorer probably more than anything on Arena because it's a non-rotating format. Yeah. So it seems like Arena being easier to play standard in, the, the computer doing most of the work for you when it comes to the rotation, the packs being immediately available, I think is a big thing. Right. Wild cards, which obviously is not a perfect currency for Arena. A ton of problems with that, but at least it makes it so you're essentially buying singles in a digital space. Right. Well, and the other thing too is, is I mean, we still, we still kind of have this thing about going outside I feel I feel like I feel like a lot of people are so content and happy in their house and don't get me wrong I am too I love I love being home all my stuff's at home right I just think it's a lot easier for people to sit at their computers at home and get games in or play on your phone that one of the best things that wizards did for arena was release the app you're able to jump from the app to your computer, back to the app as you go. And I think just, I think the the ease of it, the always having somebody to play with, the content of being in your own home, I think there's a lot of variables that go into why standard is more popular on Arena. And COVID definitely had a large part to play. No one was playing Paper Magic there, you know, outside of their, their very close friend groups there for a couple of years. And obviously standards affected by that. Wizards themselves shut down their sanctioned play. They told WGS stores no more. And that went on for at least two years. You know, it seems like now COVID's been put out the pasture, but it's still kind of lurking there underneath the deck, just ready to swipe at your ankles when you jump out into the yard. I mean, the other thing too is, 
while there were some some issues with that, because obviously Commander is the most popular format in Magic, and you can't play Commander on Arena. Online, Magic Online, or MTGO, also did see a little bit of an increase, but there's, I'll tell you, you want to talk about not saving money. MTGO is almost as bad as Paper Magic. The other thing, too, is Spell Table came. Spell Table has blown up in the last few years as well. I'm a little curious as to whether that's... I've only ever seen it used for Commander, but I'm wondering if there are people... Are there people out there that are using Spell Table to do maybe do, like, one-on-one modern or stuff like that? I'm sure there's probably a Discord set up with events that are run through Spell Table. There's no reason that it couldn't be adapted for that use. It's, you know, a great tool for... Uh, digital play for me it doesn't sound very fun half the fun of playing these constructed formats that are not commander is it's still that face-to-face interaction i'm not an arena fan roping gets to me i can't even take it i see one game of roping and i'm i'm out of there roping is bad Uh, matt and i also we did struggle we we did the the covid struggle and we tried to play plenty of games over spell table and we made it work i some of my uh (laughs) some of my fondest memories from COVID is me, Matt, and a couple other buddies texting each other, trying to figure out how we're going to rig up our phones to look over our boards because we don't have anything like built for that. Yeah. Piles of books stacked on top of each other with a camera hanging off all kinds of things. I went to Home Depot. I bought a bunch of PVC pipe and I rigged up a frame. We're getting a little off track. So that's kind of the gist of standard 60 card rotating format. Love hate relationship with that rotating part of it. Some players are fine with it. Other players obviously aren't. They don't, they want to play with the cards they got, but that kind of tails us right into our next format. I will say before we go into the next format, a lot of these formats we're going to talk about are 60 card formats. Your typical magic format is a 60 card format that allows four copies of each card in the deck. Not counting basic lands. Not counting basic lands. And we will still throw it in there real quick, but I just wanted to say that that the next few, the next decent amount of the formats we're going to talk about are like that, and then we'll explain other ones as we go along. But but the next one we're going to talk about is Modern, which is probably my favorite 60-card constructed format. So Modern is is 8th edition forward. So it doesn't rotate, but it also doesn't include all of the cards in Magic. Modern is definitely more intense and competitive than Standard. Modern is a lot of times you see like some of those like early game wins. Standard you can see go a little bit longer than Modern. Modern is is fast. Modern is where you start to see, that's where you start to see the money really go. That's where you start to see decks that, you know, you're talking about a format that includes fetch lands and shock lands and, and the mana base makes up a lot of it, but also you're seeing like the packs and you're seeing these cards that haven't been reprinted in a long time and price-wise modern can get really expensive and I'm actually surprised to see the popularity of it but I have noticed recently and and correct me if you think different Matt but I think because of that price I've seen monocolored decks get a lot of love recently in modern that's probably the case I think magic makes a big push to be new player friendly obviously there's a lot more money and growth and bringing in new players is a big market for wizards of the coast. I think part of that is single color magic. It's easier to teach, easier to understand for most players. And then they grow up into big boy magic where they start playing more colors usually. Right. Well, and it's, I mean, it's a good way to teach the color pie, even though uh, we have seen the color pie kind of break a little bit in recent years. I still think for the most part, the color pie 
sits in its specific colors. I mean, even when you get on Arena for the first time, they make you do the color pie challenge. You play a monocolored of every color because they each do their own specific thing. And you you have to learn what those specific things are before you can branch out. But the nice thing too is is like you have the the creature types, like with modern especially, you have you have like creature types that fit into like specific colors. Like I don't know exactly what the the Merfolk modern deck is, but I'm assuming it's blue maybe green blue right because i know mer folks i know that if you're playing the bushwhacker goblin deck you're probably mono red because that's where all the best goblins are if you know i have a modern zombies deck that i play that's all in black because while zombies have been printed in blue white and black your real core of the deck you don't need to go in all those colors but that also kind of it's weird because that's like when you think of black, you don't think of creatures. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, yeah. It's it's kind of strange. I, I don't know. I don't know exactly how to word it, but it's a little bit strange because it's like, you know that they're going to be in those colors because of the creature type that are. But also when you think of creatures, you think of green. Well, you, you said it with Merfolk. You, every color seems to have some kind of creature type attributed to it. Merfolk being blue, sometimes green, zombies being black, humans are white. You know, humans are every color, but most commonly mm. associated with white, you get, mm. you know, Cobalt and stuff like that are solidly red. I guess I guess what I was trying to say there is learn learn the color pie for these formats and and you should. You should learn the color pie and, and playing monocolored decks makes it easier to do that. But don't always get caught up in that because like every color has a tribe attributed to it. Every you know, black has a lot of card draw, even though that's blue thing. You should learn through the color pie, but don't get too caught up on it. Yeah, usually multicolored, you're playing to the weaknesses of a color you want to play. So if you're in black and you want that better card draw than black, you play blue. If you want, you know, more creature base, you want life gain or something, you throw white in. And that's how you you start breaking into those multicolors. And that's, I think that's the lovely thing about a non-rotating format, right? Is because you have so much access to these different... You know what's good, right? Cards. You still know what's good, but like like you just mentioned, like black's card draw is going to make you pay life for it, right? That's what black does. So you could either go into blue to have better card draw, or you can go into white to have life gain. I really do like modern. I think there's less to figure out in modern because mm-hmm. we have the longevity of the card base. Like I said, we know what's good in the set or in the pool of cards that we get to choose from. We know what works well together. It gets really interesting when they throw in like modern horizon sets or we get a new set with something <laughs> has- particularly spicy and these new injection of cards, whether it's straight to modern legal cards like the horizon sets or it's just particularly good cards like shoulder it or some of these standard legal cards. They tend to throw a wrench in some of the, the established modern deck. The advantage of modern over standard, kind of like we touched on, obviously it doesn't have that rotating aspect of it. Generally, it seems like it has a larger player base, especially with, with those Philadelphia results. Definitely the history is there. You know, it, it plays to people getting to play with the cards they want to play with from their collection. And overall, I think it's even with some of the, the power pushes that these direct to modern horizon sets have been giving. I think it's a healthy format. You know, it's relatively diverse. They seem to be on top of it with their bands. Obviously KCI was a big bad there for a while. Tron comes and goes. You're going to always see these decks. And, and, and that's one thing I want to touch on too, but you, you're, you're always going to see these decks kind of come and go, right? Like burn is good don't see humans anymore tron is good i i'm i imagine there's somebody out there still playing humans and it's still a decent deck what what did they ban recently i don't know i don't keep up on it's, modern it's not that they much. banned anything in humans it's just that it can't keep up 
it can't keep up. Hmm. There's synergies that specifically just shit on humans. Sure. Uh, tribal in general, actually. But yeah, I say humans because that was my 2011 modern deck. So I, I do like my modern zombies deck, and it's definitely a budget deck. It's better at my local game store than it is at conventions. But I also played against a Goblin Bushwhacker deck that was crazy good. I was blown away. So kind of just a to touch on the high points of modern. It's faster, more consistent than standard is because you're playing with a larger selection of cards, established archetypes, I would say. You know, it's that consistency and that higher power level that, you know, really pushes modern to be the, the more competitive, in my opinion, fun format. One other thing I wanted to say, to, to go back to an, a, a previous episode we talked about, as we talk about these constructed 60-card formats, this is really where you're going to see net decking. And don't feel bad about that. Don't feel bad if you're net decking. Don't get salty if you see somebody else net decking. Like we had previously explained, you are not a team of Magic players. You're not a team of professional Magic players. You're just somebody trying to enjoy this game. And you're going to want to win these competitions. You're going to want to play and win. And it's more fun to play a good deck that you know is going to be good. And that's right. not a problem. Fun is where the wins are at. Same thing with Commander. You know, people say that's a casual fun format. You know, I'm just playing with friends. But you still want to win. You want to feel good. And just like CDH, you know, people say Modern's too fast. And games are too short. Same thing, Same discussion that occurs around CDH. And that's really where we see the power disparity causing that issue. Modern decks should last just as long as standard decks do in a game when they're played against appropriately powered decks. So that's Modern. We're going to dive right into a Modern adjacent format called Pioneer. This one's newer, came out 2019, same guidelines, it goes all the way back to Return to Ravnica, so much more recent in Magic's past, but Return to Ravnica on is your selection of cards, and it gets spicy because it still plays things like shock lands, but no fetch lands. Ban the fetches right out the gate, which was such a good move on their part. And then you see a lot of cards that get play in standard they're good still good in pioneer you see a rotation through those archetypes much quicker because while it is an eternal format and it isn't up to the same rotation as standard it still kind of follows that schedule a little bit closer pulling from those good cards and slapping them into decks or making brand new archetypes well, and it also makes it more affordable right i would say it's like it's like affordable modern because you're not going all the way back to eighth edition because you don't have to worry about fetch lands you are focusing more on the standard and a lot of the standard archetypes aren't exactly the pioneer archetypes right i have a ton of fun with my light pause orzhov auras deck light pause being Kamigawa Neon Dynasty, so still in standard. And that's, I, I've never, I, I haven't seen any Light Pause standard decks, but the Pioneer deck is, is really good. Yeah. And I play Spirits. Famously, I played in modern events locally too, just to kind of mix up the meta. And, you know, Spirits are, it, it's humid adjacent for me, so it definitely reaches back. Obviously, I'm not playing things like Aether Vial like I would be in modern, but, you know, it, it's fun playing that tribal synergies and getting, not necessarily punished like I would in modern, in a larger modern environment. That's kind of it with Pioneer. It's it's modern adjacent, same concept where it's Return to Ravnica 4, 60 cards, sideboard, all that stuff. Next up, we're going to talk about Historic. Historic was kind of Wizards of the Coast's answer to modern on Arena. Wizards, when they first released Arena and Beta, was they were they were going through the Kaladesh, Aether Revolt, Amonkhet, Hour of Devastation era. 
that rotated, and they, they kind of just moved on, and that's kind of what it feel, felt like Arena was going to be. Then they started doing these historic anthologies where they added all these old cards. They did a remaster of both Amonkhet. I, I can't remember. I know they did Amonkhet, Kaladesh. I don't know. I don't know. I think it had a mixture of cards from like Amonkhet, Hour of Devastation, as well as Kaladesh and Aetherovolt. It was like kind of like its own full set. Yeah, they weren't direct imports. So what Historic did was Historic said, hey, instead of removing the cards that rotated out of standard off of Arena, we're going to have this format that you can play all those cards in so so instead of like back to eighth edition like modern it's back to whatever's legal in or not whatever's legal but whatever cards are on arena currently this also includes historic brawl and we'll talk about brawl a little bit later but that it works the same way it just includes whatever cards are on arena the problem is and this actually just came to my mind historic brawl at least i I'm, I think Historic as well also uses the Alchemy cards, which kind of broke Historic and made Historic almost unplayable. So unfortunately, I used to really like Historic Brawl because it felt like Commander Light, and I no longer play it because of that reason, because the Alchemy cards are garbage. That's, I mean, that's pretty much it with Historic... I just on the end throw in there is another format that's actually more fun to me called Explorer on Arena... Explorer was kind of their answer to Pioneer. They released around the same time. I believe it uses a lot of the same... I believe it uses all of the same cards as Historic, but it's not affected by the Alchemy cards. So it has gained a lot of popularity on Arena. After that, we're going to move into two formats that a lot of newer players probably haven't heard of. And even, even me, when I got back into Magic, it took me a long time to kind of understand what these formats are. Yeah, so we're talking about Legacy and Vintage. Very similar formats, Essentially, what the difference is, Legacy lets you play with all the cards from Magic's history with a larger curated ban list than Vintage. Vintage, again, all the cards are Magic's history with a smaller ban list, but more restricted cards. So this is what we talked about earlier about restricted, where they're only able to play one or two of a particular card. Speaking of that, are there any restricted cards in formats outside of Vintage? Not that I know of at this point. I'm pretty sure they just go for straight bands nowadays in modern. I'm sure in the past there were restricted cards. And I know definitely when players are having public outcries on forums like Reddit or on Facebook, they call for restricted cards more than modern or more than banned just because they probably are a degenerate at some level and like playing that card or don't feel like it's totally horrible, but they want to control to an extent. You know, they play very similar to every other form. Obviously, they're very powerful, full power nine, moxes. Very expensive, too. I, you don't see these formats a lot because of price, although I will say at Summit, now I didn't see this myself, but a couple of our friends that we were talking to that were there with us after the event said they saw quite a few people playing with proxies during one of the legacy events yeah i don't think that's super uncommon in these formats I, obviously it's not a sanctioned wizards thing it's kind of like cdh you're these cards are incredibly expensive it's incredibly limiting to the format and if you're going to have healthy games people are going to have to play fake cards just because of the sheer limited quantity of those cards if you love a format like this if you're a legacy or a vintage player and you want to get more games like that in in my opinion you would want to be okay with that because that means more people to play against legacy and vintage events are 
not uncommon, but they're probably few and far between. Really, it's for people that have been in Magic since the beginning or very early on, like up, I would say up to about the 2000s when these Magic cards, you know, boxes were 30 bucks each and stuff like that. And we do see them at events, mainly in like 5K type formats. Obviously, the Summit, they weren't doing deck checks. Or if they were, it was very sparingly. Right. Well, and I think the one, the event that they were talking about was um, an on-demand on demand. Yeah. yeah. Which so is definitely not going to have a deck check. Yeah. There actually is a third format called Old School. Even more rare. It's only cards from 1993 and 1994. I've actually never heard of that format. We have a, a local player. I'll call him by his Facebook handle, Plum Witherby. Ex-pro. Very good at magic and used to play. He talks about Old School all the time. And I don't know if he said it's his most popular or favorite format, but he's definitely mentioned it more than one occasion. Legacy and Vintage, to me... Very cool in concept. You know, maybe one day we'll throw some proxy decks together and try to get something going. There are a few local players that definitely have the cards, but I know they would love proxying and getting those games in. Yeah, yeah. That's one thing I'll say is even though I don't have the money to fully invest in modern, I at least know what the archetypes are. I know how the gameplay works. Legacy and Vintage would be a lot of fun because it'd be like starting from scratch. And that kind of... That draws the end to our constructed section. We're going to talk about Commander and Brawl. And there, Kyle's got a comment. There's one more format on there that's technically constructed, and that's Popper. Popper works across a lot of different things because there is Popper Commander, but there also is like regular Popper 60 card. The cards in Popper are the legality for them is based on their rarity rather than something like their power level or band or restricted list, stuff like that. Popper, they have to be common. In Popper, the card has to be common, which just means it has to have at least one printing that was common. So there are a lot of cards that have been changed to rare in recent years, but have been printed as common before. Or the opposite, where they go from rare or uncommon to common. To common, so they are legal. What I was thinking about with the uncommons is Popper Popper Commander, Commander, where from Dominaria forward, from the original, not original, but the the first named Dominaria set, which happened in like 2017. Something like that. We got our first uncommon legend legendary creatures and so popper commander is your commander has to be uncommon or common or common if i don't are I think there, there i think there's common a, a couple creatures? common commanders now or a couple common legendaries maybe i think at the time there were only uncommons and the 99 the rest of the cards on the deck have to be common it's an interesting format we have a buddy here that keeps really trying to push us to play it with him it is very fair magic more fair than any janky budget deck in some cases there are some cards that have been printed as common before i mean ristic study has been printed as common ristic study is legal and popper so there are some exceptions but for the most part it is very fair magic went on card gatherer and there are a couple common legendaries out there they're actually old one is chandler and the other is Joven. There's they're old. How old Jedi. are they? They are legends. They're and they're common. That's what the the card gatherer search came up when I get search for common legendaries. The majority of these are those prototype cards. Well, I guess I can't say prototype anymore because that's an actual mechanic now. But from the mystery boosters, the, the playtest play cards. Yep. Yeah, several of those. I guess they're all considered common, apparently. But I, I'd be interested to look into that more because I was almost positive that we didn't have any legendary creatures below rare until Dominaria. It, it could be my gatherer search skills not being up to it, but it is 
it is catching things like the legendary backgrounds from not AFR, but Baldur's Gate. Well, there's several commons of those. Yes, yes. And I knew that, because, but those are, I guess technically those can be your commanders, but they need the other part of it as well. Yeah. Um, I guess I'm just speaking towards my, my search is catching those and it's not catching the uncommons. I'm wondering if it's because they didn't have rarity stamps back then. Maybe just the set symbol. But then you think it would catch everything. I don't know. We're, we're going down a rabbit hole. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry, sorry. But anyways, you know, that's the simplicity of Popper. It's... Only common cards that are either common in at least one printing or common on MTGO, which I found out what I thought was kind of interesting. I did not know that. Yeah. I always assumed MTGO followed, you know, standard paper printings and rarities, but I guess there is some kind of deviation there that... I also didn't know that when you were playing in a paper format that it also took that into consideration. Yeah, I don't know. But there, there are also... So we talked about... Popper subtypes. Obviously, we touched on Commander Popper. There's also a Standard Popper, which kind of sounds miserable to me. Sounds like you're just playing with Draft Chaff. Yeah, that doesn't sound fun. I think Commander Popper is actually called Tiny Leaders. Does that sound familiar? I think it's similar, but I think Tiny Leaders is also different. Okay, okay. The Commander subtypes are like infinite. Uh, <laughs> right, right. We'll touch on a couple here in a minute. Popper, I, I think Popper itself is pretty popular. <laughs> popper popular weird i know for sure on reddit when there's spoilers and we see these downshifts in the common comment sections explode with people that are excited about the new possibilities you know it gets me excited i don't even play the format but seeing these people so passionate about a format is pretty cool i mean it's crazy it's it's what makes magic magic right is the fact that we are able to talk about all of these different formats and there are so many and it's not just three or four formats that people know about. There's a lot of casual players out there that could probably sit down and list off 10 different formats. Yeah, for sure. And we're not even touching on nearly all of them. I did, I was sitting at a at our cafe drinking a coffee earlier before coming to record and just Googling it, going on the wikis. I kind of just picked and choose the ones that Kyle and I were more familiar with and you know more common out there in the magic verse. Wrapping up now officially with our constructed section, we're going to move on into limited. First one I'm going to touch on is sealed. And this is my favorite event. It's probably just because I'm a low skill Timmy, but essentially what sealed is you get six draft booster packs. Important note, they have to be draft booster packs. Sealed does very weird things if you play with set boosters. It can be fun. It's very weird. But six draft booster packs, you crack them, you build a 40-card deck, including lands, so roughly 23 non-lands, 17 land cards is what Wizards advertises. Then you just go to town, playing Magic, Swiss pairings, best of three, all that same usual rules for typical Magic with a deck you built on the spot. We'll kind of touch on draft here next, but sealed for me... It's a fun, it's more casual than draft for me for sure because it removes some of the competitiveness there initially with your card selection. It also is kind of just speaks to the tabletop magic atmosphere that existed when I first got into magic. Have I, I say I've been playing magic since the late 2000s, 2009, 2010, but I've been collecting magic as a school kid back in 1996 when I was five, six years old, and we were just playing on the blacktop with stuff we crack out of our fresh pack. That's what Sealed really reminisces to me. I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but we have actually missed another Constructed and we'll touch on it. It fits into a couple of different categories. So, and it's almost non-existent, which is probably why we missed it. I'll actually touch on it after we talk about limited and we're going into some of the commander formats because it does kind of fit into that category. Yeah, tell me what it is now. Brawl. We didn't actually oh, talk no. about Brawl. Brawl I'm going to include in commander. 
Okay. Oh, it, it, yeah, I by mean, design. Okay. I just wanted to make sure because it, it, it is technically a rotating standard-esque format. But it's commander adjacent. But it is commander adjacent. So I, I figured we would, but I, it was it was placed a little, not that we're using a script. It was placed a little weird. It was a last minute thought because I realized I had it in the tree and then I didn't write a note about it and I was oh, trying to leave. Okay. Okay. That's why it's like squeezed into the bottom margin. So sealed, sealed, sealed is awesome. I love sealed. Don't get me wrong. Sealed any limited format. The reason why limited formats are so good is because limited formats put everyone on the same playing field. Limited formats don't allow the player that's been playing for 25 years to, to just powerhouse through everyone with those cards they've had because they played during that, that decade, you know, unless they're necessarily that skillful, unless they are. I mean, I, I am. At the same time, I'll say, because I'm a very good limited player. In fact, I'm I'm probably outside a commander, a better limited player than I am a constructed player. And I still have had just bad. I, Summit was a good example. I did not I, I did not do well in limited during Summit. Most of the time, I do pretty well. I love limited. But I'm more of a draft player. I Sealed is a ton of fun, but draft, that is where there is so much level of complexity. And and, and, and we'll go into draft, and I'll, I'll, I'll note on a couple of things as we go into it. But draft, you typically play with a pot of eight. And what you do is you start with a, or not play, but you start with a pot of eight, and you take three packs, you open the first pack, you draft a single card out of it, and then you pass it to the left. And they draft a single card out of it, and they pass it, and so forth until you're through the whole pack. And then it's the same thing to the right, and then again to the left. That pool of cards is what you build your deck out of. A thing to note, uh, sealed and limited, or sealed and draft are both 40-card decks. Decks. So Kyle just managed to skate right over sealed and bust straight into drafts. I have a couple more notes on sealed. Sealed is like the premier WotC limited event. It's every pre-release is a sealed event. There's special kits just for sealed for these pre-release events. And WotC does have draft. I, I don't know if Magic Fest is actually a thing anymore, but when they had Grand Prix and Magic Fest, obviously there's still drafts, but I felt like sealed was more popular for those events. Everything obviously has draft side events, but sealed is Definitely, in my opinion, the best intro into Magic. It's no cards required up front. Beginners come in, and with a little bit of coaching, you know. Well, that, that is deck. that is the one nice thing is is when you think about it is with draft, you still have to have a, the skill level in order to know what you're supposed to be taking as your draft picks. Basically, you got to generally know what cards do. Even if it's your first time seeing a card, it's not your first time usually seeing the idea of a card. Right, exactly. And whereas sealed, you just all you got to do is open the packs and then build the deck. Yeah, your choices are much easier because your pool is given to you. You're not having to decide, you know, I need to pick white and red every time to make sure I have a cohesive deck. It's 60, 15 times. No, it's more than that. 95 cards? 90 cards. 90 cards? It's 90 cards. 45 and 3, yeah, 90. Yeah, math. Anyways, you know, your selections are made for you up front. All you got to do is pick those synergies, cram them in a deck, and get going. I like it because... I don't play arena, kind of like I said earlier with standard. I think arena is really about draft. Standard is an afterthought. Same thing with historic and alchemy and those other formats uh, that are in there. The only reason that is true is because they want you to buy like their premier currency, right? And that's how you pay for your your limited events. 
So, but I don't do arena, so I don't do drafts in arena and locally in our very small community, I, I, I think drafts are our most popular format, but even then we fire them once or twice a month because we do try jamming constructed formats because there's players like me, I prefer constructed overall, but you know, we try to give a diversity to everybody. Like you said, the nice thing about sealed is the decks, they're not even going to be as powerful a lot of the times as a draft deck could be. Just a quick tip while Kyle is quiet. But Kyle only likes draft because he sits in between people that are bad at draft. I don't know. I sit next to Chris Lover a lot, and he's pretty fucking good at draft. Even though seating is totally random, done no. on an app, he always manages to sit between the people that are bad. I actually love draft because uh, years ago I got randomly sat next to Matt in draft, and he literally <laughs> handed me the game. I do feed. It's it's a pretty common tread in draft, especially if there's drinking involved. I get very bad. That's generally it for sealed. Super straightforward. Crack your packs, build a 40-card deck, and just smash it against your opponent. I know, obviously, we've already heard Kyle's itching to get the draft, so we'll just go ahead and pick right back up and jump into that. There are a couple of things about draft that really differentiate it from sealed. As I was kind of going back to sealed and thinking about it, one thing you mentioned is feeding. So there's a lot of times where you will... You will, one, you'll do what's called hate drafting, where you'll take, like, something that you don't want to see played against you, even if it's not in your own colors. Usually bombs or removal. There's value drafting, where you let's say you open up a pack, and you're not playing in black, but you're doing a Dominaria United, and you open a Shields Rid, and she's a $60 card. So, of course, you're going to draft that. Or just showcase Planeswalkers, Ancient Copper Dragons. Right, exactly. And then there's feeding, which is your... Taking cards that are going to work in your deck better, but by doing that, you're handing something that you know is going to be a problem off to somebody else. Yeah, and I generally think there's two types of feeding. There's cheating and there's incidental. Incidental is by far the most common one because I don't think anybody generally tries to cheat in drafting where you're picking cards that are best for your strategy and you're inadvertently passing cards that are good for your opponent's strategy next to you. And there is some, you know, caveats and nuance to this because you do pass up the order. You go left, right, left, and you might know exactly what the person on your left is drafting, but the person on your right, you might not or vice versa probably vice versa but well and because of cheating i think that's why they do that right kind of and i mean it definitely doesn't stop people from doing it because you just don't feed the person to your right if you're cheating with the person on your left Uh, that's true Part of that is just reading the draft properly. You want to be kind of aware of what's getting removed from the packs. Usually the easiest way to do it is just based on color. You know, someone passes you a pack, it's all green and red. Obviously people are pulling the other three colors in front of you. And Vice versa, if there's all, if there's all colors, you really have no clue. And I think this kind of speaks to the QR or QC problem that Wizards has lately, because there's definitely been multiple packs that are generally one color that I've seen, or like it'll be eleven black cards and like a mix of the other four colors. Speaking of that, here's a weird thing that I notice a lot of people do, and occasionally I'll do it just because I'm bored and I've got a pack that I can't put down. Shuffling the packs before they tap past them. Legit strategy. I think it's a waste of time. It, it, it throws off people that are in, not necessarily in the moment of the draft. They are just kind of free balling along. Cause this definitely happens to me more often than not. I get halfway through my second pack and I'm fucking done. I'm bullshitting with the dude sitting across from me and I'm not necessarily looking for the power cards. I'm looking for those commons and uncommons and I shuffle. I go through the first couple cards where I expect there to be, you know, the more power, so to speak, uncommon cards. And they're not necessarily where they're supposed to be. And I, it causes, you know, hesitation 
and, and just second guessing. I suppose. Guessing. I suppose that's the other thing we do a lot that I guess is technically cheating. I I pissed off a couple of people at the summit with this, but if I crack something like crazy, I don't care. I'm gonna tell my friends about it. Yeah, there. Just like there's, you know, different types of feeding. There's different types of players in the draft. I'm incredibly vocal at a draft table. I like bullshitting with the people around me. I don't care if a black lotus is on the line. I'm going to be bullshitting with a dude across from me. Right. And luckily, most of our local play group is like that. I mean, we were at a. We have a buddy who does a drink and draft that we go to every time he does it because it's a blast. It's it's one of the most fun events I've ever been to. Like you get 25 of your closest friends and you can get trashed and play magic. Who doesn't love that? But the last time. Time we were there i opened what a full art liliana and dominari united and as soon as i did i told probably the entire room i said it as loud as possible everyone knew instantly everyone knew instantly and technically i think that's cheating i technically i don't think you're supposed to do that it's cheating to lie it's not okay. cheating to give information. And that kind of leads into the, the second type of draft player. It's, I would just describe them as the introvert. They want silent. And not necessarily that judges are introverted, which I'm sure it's the equal mix of the player base. But technically, they want it silent too. But it makes it so that the event they're running is easier to run. I actually disagree with that, by the way. I think it's probably more like a, a 75-25. We're talking about introvertedness and judges? Yeah. I, I think actually most of the Magic player base is probably 75% introverted. I don't know. And I, I know I'm 100% wrong. I know there are introverted judges because there's introverted people in every environment. I don't know how you can be a judge and be introverted. You're literally the definition of why you're there at the event is to be confrontational. And you could be the nicest person about it. What you're doing is confrontational. There were a lot of judges at Summit. I think I talked to two of them. The summit probably isn't the best example because, I mean, I'm sure everyone knows by now, first day was kind of a catastrophe with the app and running events and ticks this and all is that true. stuff. And a lot of that fell on the judges' shoulders to make run, and they did an amazing job, but they were an incredibly busy group. I'm sure there's some of them that just generally don't want to talk to people, but... I, I definitely think they they're obviously a judge because they love magic and they want to do they want to talk about magic with people. They just silent events are easier to run because you're not talking over people. I am curious to see what that statistic is though. If you look at most of the like uh, famous content creators and stuff, obviously to be a content creator, you typically have to be extroverted. You have to be outgoing, at least comfortable talking to a microphone, staring at some dude in glasses across from you. <laughs> That's me. I'm the dude in glasses. But I also think that. I mean, our play group is a good example. We either had to get extremely lucky because we have just a bunch of extroverted assholes in our play group, or the statistic can't be nearly as bad as I think it is. I think it's nearly 50-50. We just get lucky that our active play group is like us. We're all assholes at some level. but I think In a fun way. We, we definitely bring it out in people, too. Mm. Like, new players or people that are just generally quiet. They, they see us goofing around, having fun, you know, talking about what cards we pulled, asking other people what they got. They get into it. Well, and the thing is, too, is this, now that I talk about this and I realize, looking back at... At a previous episode that Matt and I talked about, Matt and I are also kind of bullies that build off of each other. And I think that that also kind of helps let other people build off of us too. Uh, it's, it's a ton of fun. Our favorite thing is chipping away at each other's fucking salt piles. Yeah. I don't mean bully as in like, we're like ruining people's lives. I mean, bully as in poking at people that we're really close friends with and we know what we can poke at. 
kind of down that rabbit hole again. We're, we're definitely getting long on time here. So I, there is one more limited format that I wanted to touch on out of the many, and that's cube drafting, which is something that I don't have a ton of experience with. I have done a few times. I know Kyle's done it a few times. It's super cool. Essentially what it is, is just booster drafting, but you're doing it with somebody's curated pool of cards, whether that's someone that's super into D&D, so they built a cube around the D&D sets. Brandon Sanderson was at the summit, and I'm a, he had some kind of curated cube. People do it with themes. They just do mm. generally power. Brandon Sanderson's cube. The only reason I think it's really famous is because it was Brandon Sanderson's. Well, yes, but also it was showcased on game nights. It, yeah, it, it was true. like one of the original game nights episodes showcased it. I've made a couple of cubes. The other thing about cubes that a lot of people I don't think know is most cubes are proxied. Usually because you're playing with things like, like Lotus and power. Right. Nine. That's I have a power cube. That's all power you're you're playing with time time twisters and original duels and you're not going to just hand these out in like plastic packs for somebody to rip open Mm -hmm. and And i I think the most popular for or venue for cube drafting is mtgo it's definitely do holiday cubes they do all kinds of theme cubes and the thing about cubes you don't get to keep the cards like you do in a booster draft they go back to that person's curated collection or back into the void in mtgo and i don't know if this is a standard naming convention for mtgo or paper magic but a Arena does a similar, they do, it, it is a cube draft, I guess. It's just a, with whatever cards they want to pick out from the cards in Arena, but they call them ghost drafts, which just means that you draft, you play, and then you don't keep the cards afterwards. And I've, I've taken to that and I've used that a couple of times in like a paper setting, but I don't, I think that that was coined with Arena. I think it's a branding thing, something they could brand and copyright and make it unique to Arena. But anyways, another kind of interesting fact about Cube is that they're generally singleton. You won't see multiple copies of the same card in a set. You won't see multiple Black Lotuses or Sarah's Angels or anything like that. And it really makes for a unique drafting experience. I've never thought about that, but you're totally right. Even the ones I've made are totally singleton. So that's kind of the very limited view of limited we wanted to cover this episode. We're going to jump into my favorite and Kyle's favorite format. And I think generally everybody's favorite format, barring, you know, like Chris Lover, that's Commander. There is one subtype out of the many that we're going to cover in any detail. We're going to skip over things like, you know, Two-Headed Giant Commander. Two-Headed Giant, I guess, is... Two-Headed Giant is something we skipped over. Two-Headed Giant's really easy to explain real quick just for newer listeners. Two-Headed Giant just means it's two players on a team fighting two other players on a team. And you share a health pool and nothing else. And then your only goal is to kill the opponent. Right. Your hand is yours. Your your mana is yours. Your health pool is shared. I believe you can legally consult and show hands yeah, to each other strategize but other than that i mean really life pull is only the the only thing you're sharing but that's that's pre- pretty much all there is to two headed and giant if it's limited to hit a giant you generally play at 30 life it's also limited to hit a giant is typically eight pack sealed which is the only difference anyways commander so for anybody that's living under a rock, it's a 100-card singleton format where one of those cards is a legendary creature or designated planeswalker or something else that has this can be your commander stamped on it for any future wild things that might come out. Shorakai is a good example. He's technically not a creature. He's a vehicle. Right. 100-card singleton format, and every card in that deck has to fit the color identity of that chosen commander. Important distinction here for anybody that's new. Color identity and, what is it, converted mana cost? Or, so the the main difference is that color identity and color value of the card. Color identity includes any pips in the casting cost or in the 
text box of that card, not including something like rules text, which is a, a minor thing on, that appears on a couple of cards. And the color value of the card, which matters for things like constructed, only appears in the casting. Right. Box. Like, so for example, when you're talking about Kenrith as a commander, he's a five color commander because he has every pip every color pip on his card, but his actual color as a card is technically only white because it's, it's the, it's the color within the converted mana cost that actually counts. Color identity did not exist until Commander and did not matter until Commander. And it still only matters in Commander. And it still only matters in Commander, exactly. The other main difference between Commander and other constructed formats is that whoever you designate to be your Commander, whatever card, it is not included in the main deck. It is kept in a separate zone called your Command Zone and can be cast from your Command Zone. I will say... It is included in the 100 cards, though. It's your in, commander in and 99 cards. But you have a stack of 99 cards and your commander in a separate zone. Or 98 cards, depending on if, if you're you using partner. partner or background or friends Again, forever. getting down a rabbit hole. So generally, it's 99 cards and a commander. And the important part about that separate zone is that every time you cast your commander from that zone, it costs two additional generic mana for every time it was cast from that zone before it. And any time that your commander would go anywhere, anywhere, anytime it changes zones, anytime it changes zones. So if it would go to your hand, the library, the graveyard exile, you can choose to move it to the command zone. And recent, relatively recent ruling is that when it changes zones, it still goes to those zones before you make your selection. So your commander dies, still goes to your graveyard. I guess in most cases it wouldn't matter, but... Does it go to every zone and then the command zone, or is it just the graveyard? Because I know that was the biggest argument with that. Yep, it still goes to that zone. So if so it's that's exiled, why... it still gets exiled, but then you choose to move it from the exile zone into your command zone. Is that why things like Chaos Warp still work? Yeah, because technically it still goes to your library, even though you're choosing not to put it in your library. Okay. And that used to be a big caveat where things like Chaos Warp, they shuffle your commander into your library and then unless you're incredibly lucky or you have a lot of draw or mill or whatever you're never going to see your commander again right so that was a thing actually for a long time with commander where you used to if it went to exile the graveyard or to your hand you could choose to put it back in the command zone but if it shuffled into your library you had to do that and that was another rule change that happened a long time ago yeah and with that they didn't count as going to that zone. You, it was a replacement effect. You either put it in the command zone or in the graveyard of exile or your hand. But now it definitely hits that zone, so it will cause, you know, enter the graveyard triggers, enter the exile triggers, all that kind of thing. Right, it made Alenda the Duskrose an actual viable commander. It probably made a lot of commanders viable commanders, but she's the one that I think of the most because I think she really was around that whole rule change. Right, yeah. It felt real bad when you had to put your commander in your graveyard just to get a death trigger and make a bunch of 1-1s on, or vampires. I mean, you're playing in black. You should have return effects, but... Again, look at our deck building. So, Commander, again, Magic's most popular format. Kyle and I obviously love it. We've already done essentially two podcast episodes on Commander topics, and, you know, it's pretty self-explanatory. Once you get these basic rules down, why everyone loves it. It's multiplayer. You have a higher life total being 40. Another important thing is commander damage, and this is something that kind of gets lost. I, I feel with newer commander players or people that play kitchen table and then come near LGS, it's 21 commander damage that is unique to each commander, including your own. Including your own. So if you play with partner commander,
commanders. It's 21 from either of the partners. It's not combined. Right. So you have your Timna and you have your Malcolm. Malcolm has to deal 21 or Timna has to deal 21. Exactly. Then, you know, there's also things like Infect, things that get around different In general, same things in Standard. And, I mean, just like with any format, so Commander has, I guess not just like any format, Commander is a non-sanctioned format, which means Wizards of the Coast, while they may print Commander products every year, and, I mean, they love making money, so of course they're going to print Commander products, they don't actually run Commander. The Rules Committee... And the committee advisory group, so the RC or the CAG, which you'll you'll hear us calling those frequently, they make the bans and restricted lists for Commander. They also make any change decisions, so like the death trigger change decision or the to which zone and then to the command zone change decision. So there may be proxies. things... Yeah, yeah. That proxies is a, a big issue in the, the world of magic right now. We might have a whole episode on proxies in the future. Pay attention to those. Pay attention to the RC. Pay attention to the CAG because we have seen in recent years major changes to the format. Not to mention, I think in the past year, we've had more new members to the RC and CAG than we've ever had in Commander's history. They, in fact, they even increased the number of members that are on the CAG, I think, with changes to the CAG, to the Commander Advisory Group, to the RC, new members coming in, you're going to have a fresh pair of eyes looking on these rules. And that's when you're going to get things like these these zone changes rules. You're going to get things that affect the entire format. I think the the RC and the CAG kind of get a bad rep. And I'm definitely guilty of it because I I call them cowards all the time for not coming out openly about proxies and stuff like that. But in general, they're making these decisions as a council, as a group. Obviously, the CAG is just advising, so they're not making any decisions on their own. But things like bans and, you know, potential restrictions, if they ever decided to go that route again, isn't unilateral. It isn't Sheldon Mennery sitting there banging a gavel. Commander's already a singleton format, so I don't know if restrictions would work, but I guess you could do restrictions on things like Shadowborn Apostles. A commander would be kind of like we touched on earlier, where they'll just restrict it from being your commander. Or or that, yes, yes. I actually have an opinion. I, I think companion itself should be banned in commander. I think companion itself, just get rid of the mechanic entirely. Again, we'll talk about that when we talk about mechanics. I'm, I, I have very strong feelings about the companion mechanic. Sheldon you know, and his council aren't unilaterally making these bans decisions. They aren't passing rules because they had a bad game against Golos in, you know, one of their LGSs or whatever. They obviously have some kind of discussion, whether you think it's well-informed and thought out or not, that's up to you. But the discussion does occur between this group and they do what they ultimately think is healthy, which good on them. It's a lot of pressure. And being Magic's most popular format, I'd hate to be in that spotlight. The best thing about Commander being a casual format, not a sanctioned Watsy format, though, is that, and they they mention this a lot, have rule zero. Go back and listen to our episodes, our earlier episodes. Have rule zero. You figure out what you want to play. Commander is casual. You do, These are not rules that are set in stone. So Commander is definitely something that Kyle and I could spend another hour talking about. I want to touch on one variation that's pretty unique. I thought it used to be called French Highlander and Canadian Highlander used to be different, but what we're talking about is Canadian Highlander. And essentially what it is, is Commander, except it's one versus one, so not multiplayer. I also thought that was French Commander or French EDH. Yeah, it's a 100 card minimum. 
and it plays with cards that have some kind of point value. So it's still Singleton. I didn't, I, I guess I didn't know anything about this format because this is all new information. So the Canadian Highlander group, and I believe it's mainly a group of guys on a Discord similar to the CAG, but they, they create point lists for cards based on their power level. So things like Mana Crypt and Mana Drain, all these super high power cards that you see all are going to be higher point value than something like, I don't know, Torin's Fist of Angels or, you know, some lower power cards. And what this point value is, obviously at the end of making your list, you'll have a total for points. And you are paired or you pair with your opponent, you have a, a prior agreement where I'm going to build a 750 point list. I don't know if that's realistic. It's probably far fewer than 750 points, but you're pairing your point value list to an equally point valued list. That's actually a really good idea that I think should be more incorporated into just standard commander. Just our standard. That's a little confusing to say just regular commander. Yeah. I is, think with how big commander is, it'd be that goose is gone. Well, I I don't necessarily know because I mean, if they're already doing it with Canadian Highlander, that that must mean that there is some kind of point list out there, right? So take your take the way that you play normal Commander. Don't change any of the rules to the way you play the game, but then just add a point value to every single card in Magic, which seems to have already been a thing. So you can actually see, you know, what point level is this deck. And pair against, because that's uh, the biggest thing. I mean, nobody knows what actual power levels are or how they work, right? Right. And I think that's definitely something you can do with a small group. The Canadian Highlander advantage is that you're entering into a specific format where that is already a rule, and you're probably making a new deck to be in that format. So it's easier. I'm just curious to see, like, I, I would be curious to, in fact, I might go do this go find what that point structure is and see where my normal commander decks land in the point structure just to kind of give it an idea of what that would look like. And it might be a fun thing to do in a smaller test group, like you said. Yeah, I think if you go down to your LGS and I'll try to put down Mjolnir and say, this is the law, your deck is 600 points, I'm playing with 300 point deck, you can't play with me, it's going to cause a lot of flame. Oh, sure. But it sounds very cool. Another cool thing about it, since it's 1v1, life totals are 20. So it's a much faster game. 1v1, obviously, is it for everyone because that's kind of the main appeal of Commander is that it's multiplayer. But if you're looking for something or you just generally don't have a play group or, you know, it's early on in a night and not everyone's showing up, it, it's definitely cool alternative. I mean, I've definitely played 1v1 EDH before. It's not the same. But it's still fun. My biggest issue is I don't tune any of my decks to be 1v1. It's true. And either they're extremely oppressive or they do nothing until like turn eight in 1v1 situations. Because it's relying on things like other players casting a card and drawing me a card or stuff like that. Like Matt said earlier, anything that comes to Commander, I'm sure we could talk about for hours. There's one other, there's one other that I want to talk about. There's one other that's important to talk about. And then there's there's one other I want to just throw in there because I saw a video on it today and I think it's cool. The the other one that I want to talk about in this format, it really does feel like it's almost non-existent, is Brawl. Brawl is a 60-card rotating format like Standard. It uses only Standard cards, but you build a Commander deck, essentially. You have a Commander that follows all the same rules as Commander, except it can be a Planeswalker, even if it doesn't say this can be your Commander. And it's Singleton, so it's a 60-card Singleton format with a Commander. So the Commander and 59 other cards. 
It could also be played 1v1 like Canadian Highlander, in which case each player has 25 life, or multiplayer like normal Commander, which player has 30 life. It is more typically played, in fact, it's almost entirely played on Arena now, when it is played. The problem is, is again, Historic Brawl was a lot of fun. It was like Commander Light, and then they added the Alchemy cards and they totally broke Historic and nobody plays it anymore. The biggest footnote that Brawl has is the release of the Throne of Eldraine Brawl decks, which were very spicy, had things like Smothering Tithe and Alila and cards like that. Corvold. In Corvold, yeah, who could forget Corvold? And that's the biggest impact they had was that they introduced all these amazing commander cards. And and, and that's the thing is, is basically what they did is they just added more cards into commander. How many decks were there? Were there three? There were four. Okay. I don't know what the fourth one is, but they had Chew Lane, which is incredibly powerful. They have Corvold, which literally replaced the other Jun CEDH commander. And saw standard play. And saw standard play. They had a Layla, who is, I, I mean, Matt has an Alayla deck that it's probably not quite CEDH, but it's right on the fence. It's like a C-class CDH. Right. Probably still a 10, but can't keep up with all your mainstays. And that's three of four of the commanders that were front page for the Brawl decks. I I cannot remember the fourth one off the top of my head right now, but they pushed Brawl so hard. They wanted it to be a thing. They wanted, and and I think maybe it was a matter of trying to save rotating formats, right? Because that's how they make money. Don't get us wrong. There's probably a huge number of tryhards out there like Matt and I who spend a bunch of money every release because we try to keep up with every set or kind of recycle cards like I do. Either way, we definitely put our money into this game. I just... I think that, I, I don't know what they're going to do. I, I mean, I don't want them to end standard sets because I love the story. I love the continuation of the story. But I just, I don't think that rotating formats are the future of the game. I think we're going to see probably less emphasis on standard formats, probably smaller print runs, a little bit more exclusivity, just because the demand maybe not be there. I mean, they're still but, selling boxes hand over fist, so I guess they probably won't do that. Hey, you know what? That might not be a bad idea, though, because look at all of our limited run sets. Like, look at the limited run things that they do. Maybe they will try to do that to push demand. Yeah, but fuck artificial scarcity. Yeah, no, that's I'm, I'm not saying that this is a good thing, but that seems like something that Wizards of the Coast will do. Go listen to our last episode, the drama episode, you'll know all about what we're talking about. By the way, that fourth deck was Knight's Charge. It had Sir Gwyn. Oh, Sir Gwyn, which is also, don't get me wrong, Sir Gwyn is a great commander deck, and I saw I saw it all over the place when it came out. It just wasn't power level of the other three. The Brawl deck itself was just on the weaker side, because you're, you're playing a tribal knight deck with things from Throne of Eldraine with that didn't have good knight support. It had some. Yeah, a, a tribal knight deck that's in Mardu, which it is my favorite color combination, tricolor combination, but it is probably the weakest of the tricolor combinations. It, that might be different now. It probably was at the time that it came out with the introduction of all the cards they put into white in the last two years. It, it's probably a lot better now. Brawl's dead. Let Brawl it is dead. It, it is It is so dead. It's it's never coming back. Luckily, they've reprinted Arcane Signet into the ground. You remember that freaking uh, catastrophe? It was the Brawl decks. Yeah. What were they, like $25 for an uncommon? It was great. I wish they'd go back to that. Just kidding. 
Yes, Brawl is Dead. The only other one that I and, and we you could go on, like we said, Tiny Leaders is a version. There's the version where like you kind of do a two-headed giant, but like one person acts as the general, and then you have lower commanders. There's arch enemy. There's, there's kingdoms, arch enemy. There's kingdoms. There's life gain. There's we, all kinds. I watched the professor's video on pre EDH today, which is new Phyrexia and back. Basically, none of the commander-specific products is what the idea behind that is. And I thought it was one of the coolest things in the world. I, I love putting stipulations on how to build decks and stuff like that to kind of just give the extra challenge. So, like, if your favorite format is commander and maybe it's getting a little tired for you, go out there and look at those different formats. It is the most popular format for a reason. There's hundreds of thousands of people that have created new semi-commander formats. And a lot of those probably could just be absorbed in your deck building process. Things like pre-EDH sounds cool. It probably wouldn't fly with the majority of your group just because, you know, people are casual. They do different things. Standard cards are easier to get than pre-Phyrexia cards. This is true. But also remember that you only need a four-player pod to fire off a game of Commander. So if you have this idea, you have three friends that you know might be into it, you can just talk to those three people. You don't. Yeah. It's not like other formats where you have to talk to a, talk a large group into people into doing it. I guess where I'm going, though, if that's something that you're on board with, it sounds like a great idea. It sounds cool, but you don't have to be restricted by your player group either because there's plenty of powerful cards pre-pre-new Phyrexia. Like, believe me, there's infinite numbers of powerful cards out there. And if you want to build your deck that way, it's still going to more than compete with anybody that's not following those same rules. Also, if you want to try something out, if you want to try something new, remember, there's nobody kicking your door in and forcing you not to use proxies. Or, you know, stream your games, see whatever's going on on spell table. There's definitely going to be a Discord out there for whatever you want to do. That's some of the constructed and limited formats Kyle and I wanted to discuss today. It's definitely not even close to being all of them out there. And sorry if we skipped your favorite or butchered your favorite or didn't do it justice, but you know, it's just kind of a, a quick synapse. In fact, if we did skip your favorite, butcher your favorite, or didn't do it justice, shoot us a DM, follow us on socials, give us a comment, tell us, tell us about what your favorite is, you know, explain it to us, talk about it. And then, you know, maybe, maybe we'll throw it up on another episode. Maybe we'll shout you out and tell you, you know, hey, we're sorry. We're like we said, we are the casual tutors. We we are very casual. Our link tree is up in the description. Get to all our socials, our Discord, our Patreon. There's a tip jar if you want to just get more beers in our bellies so we can, you know, say more outrageous things and butcher more formats for you. Our Discord, I will say, I believe it's up and running. There is a way to get your roles in the welcome page. If something's not working, shoot me a link. We'd love to have a chat with you. Maybe yeah. even get some stream games in. If the Discord's not working, yell at Matt. Yeah, it definitely is my fault. I'm a noob. Anyways, I'm Matt. And I'm Kyle. And we're the Casual Tutors. Thanks for listening.